This is Warrior Talk, your information and inspirational business podcast from the community of entrepreneurs at freeenterprisewarriors.com. I'm Matt Hayes. And I'm Dave Jenks. Dave, what do you want to talk about today? You know, Matt, I want to talk about building a business culture. Okay. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. I just spent a wonderful weekend with Mo Anderson in Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, Mo is just this inspirational lady and leader who was the uh, president and CEO of Keller Williams. And she's now vice chairman of the board and one of the key owners. But in the 10 years that she was president and CEO, she just absolutely built an incredible company. And one of the things that made it so unique, and I was so glad to be a part of it, was that it had this wonderful values-based, high-productivity business culture. And we came to call it the culture. Mm -hmm. And I've since talked with some really good friends I have in the International Franchise Association, IFA. And what we've shared, and I'm doing some work with them is this idea of building in a company a business culture. It's important. It's a critical topic. And I would just say there's some myths that people have about that. And when you really understand how to build a powerful business culture, it's amazing the difference it can make in a company. I can see that. And I also see that it's also that term culture gets used and thrown around a lot because you can look at so many different companies and they talk about their culture and the way they do business and all that. What do you mean by culture? Well, what I mean by a culture is that it's the shared set of values, a communication protocols and understandings in the organization that people are aware of, that they share, that they reinforce, that they feel good about, and that they feel empowers the purpose and the nature of that business. Isn't that kind of similar to a mission statement and just having something written on a wall, or is this something completely different? Well, a mission statement can be part of what underpins your culture, but the the issue that so many businesses, the mistake they make is they think that the mission statement is going to create a culture. And it's also, it's the way that it's developed, Matt. So it's not only that there just is this simplistic and often, I'm, I'm telling you, you, I know you've read them, you read some of these mission statements, you know, about take care and be committed to our stakeholders and our <laughs> yeah. our stockholders and provide a level of you know great service and provide an opportunity for growth for all our people and it goes on and on and on with these what I would call platitudes that you kind of would say oh yeah those are all kind of good things or maybe they aren't but the point is that it it is it hasn't got heart yeah. it hasn't got energy. One is, in most cases, they're not memorable. We'll go on to well, these it, things that what makes it what makes it good. But the thing it does, the one thing that really is a mistake is it's top down. And when something is top down, it really isn't a culture. When you're talking about that, I think of so many corporate cultures where it seems like there's a, a book you can go to the library or buy on Amazon. And it's how do you create your corporate culture? And it's the 50 or 100 key words and terms that all of them seem to use. And they just mismatch it and then put it together and create this piece of paper. And they sound like all the rest of them that are out there. It's surface level. It's like yeah. a lot of the hype psychology books about you can make all the money you want, you can be all you want to be. And the thing is, it's just another hype book that they're trying to sell to people who are looking for some answer in a book. What, what you find is building a culture is hard work. It takes crystal clear thinking. We're going to talk about uh, how to do it. But one of the things it takes, because otherwise it's not a culture, it must engage the participation of all of the members 
of the enterprise. One is there's a feeling of ownership and real connection. Number two is if this was built in the company early by the early players, then what you create is what I call a legacy or a legend of the culture Mm -hmm. so that it gets passed on. So the new people are participating in it in that they're embracing it. They're sharing it with each other. They're talking about it. They may not be inventing it. It may have already been there, right? It may have like Ritz Carlton. It already may have been the fundamental principles or even like uh, Keller Williams, where where I was talking with Mo Anderson, where there's the Y4C2Ts, the nine principles that they live by, that they share. It may have been there for a long time. So in that sense, the new people that are part of it aren't participating in creating it, but what they are participating in is reinforcing it and making it new and giving it a tangible reality in the current company. So number one thing is a culture must be created by the key participants in the culture. And this starts from the top down. Well, the top is the facilitator. You have to be a little careful. Yes, leadership always steps up and says it would be important and what is it we value and they become a facilitator of the process. They can also be a little bit, uh, maybe an editor of the process. Okay, it sounds like we're saying, you know, I know that the initial agent leadership council of Keller Williams spent like two or three months kind of putting up the values of what they wanted the company they were a part of to stand for. And then that sorted out to through a process that Gary Keller led them through. And that kind of came down to these nine principles. So it may take time, and but there, so the leadership may help craft things because everything that's good takes leadership. But then the ownership is uh, deeper than that. It was wonderful. Jim Collins, in his very first book called Built to Last, when he was differentiating in 10 different industries, those companies that had gone to the top of the industry versus those that either were mediocre or dropped out of the industry, even though they both had started at a similar time, when he was differentiating them, one of the things he said was that the ones at the top end had a, a mission statement and a value system that was known and shared throughout the company. And there becomes the kind of second part of it. So there's a participation in creating it, but then there's that everyone in the company knows it. It's memorable. Mm-hmm. And it's shared and it's reinforced so that somebody who joins the company now may in, in three months embrace and know what that mission statement is or what that those those value propositions are, and they can share them and state them. When you say that, about how everyone knows it and has embraced it. Many times, the companies that stand out of the top of my head when you say that, and I think about that, one of the words that gets used with those companies is almost like a cult feel, almost as if they're drinking the Kool-Aid because everyone knows it. They're so excited and happy about that. Is there a fine line between cult and culture? There's a difference that's very crystal clear. Okay. But it's easy to take a really embraced culture where there is that level of enthusiasm and sharing and a feeling of specialness and, you know, reinforcement and isn't this great and don't we love being here that feels like the Kool-Aid, right? Mm -hmm. Oh man, they all drank the Kool-Aid. Why? Because they're all talking about it. But the difference is this, a cult is driven by one guru, one leader, one charismatic person who has all the answers. It makes it more like a religion. So everything that's done is a result of that one person's guidance or philosophy. And everyone embraces it and they drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they, they do drink, you know, they, like Jim Jones, they do drink Literally, the Kool-Aid yeah. and they die. Mm-hmm. Or they uh, all die and to be taken up to the mothership, you know. 
But that cult leader has this charismatic control. It's actually a scary psychological phenomenon to see that one human being can have that much influence or control uh, over a whole group of them. But that's really the cult. And it's where people almost become, in the end, imprisoned in a thought system or a value system that is reinforced within so there's no escape. It's hard to escape those cults. A culture has much more of an open, transparent participation, freedom. Everyone's ideas are valid. Valued, it's shared. There isn't the feeling of it coming down from the top. It's not enforcement. The thing that makes cultures great is they are self-reinforcing and self-managing. In other words, if someone deviates from the culture, it's not like they get called in by the boss or that they get called on the carpet by a higher authority or they get identified by the culture cops, you know, by some enforcement agency. Right. But what they really do is they're buddies. Take them out in the alley, take them out behind the office and say, hey, you're not behaving like we behave here. You're not doing what we do. You know, you're acting out of culture. And so it's self-managing and self-reinforcing. Now, it's I'm giving you the negative side of it, like correction. So there's self-correction, but there's also self-reinforcement. Let me share a great culture story today, right? I mean, you'll be in a meeting and someone will say, let me tell you what so-and-so did. Man, is that in our culture? Mm-hmm. Isn't that our purpose? You know, they, that was such a role model for me. So another thing that happens in a great culture is it's self-reinforcing and people pass on stories of people who are living by the culture. And then that becomes the role models for what it means to be in that culture. And those role models are not just people at the top. In fact, often those role models are even more important when they really are stories of somebody very much in the grassroots of the organization. Can a culture develop and change over time? I know you say that culture is really formed at the beginning by a lot of the original players and set forth early and that everyone embraces. But as an organization changes, as people change, as time change, as industries change, as a way we interact and work with each other? Can a culture change and should it? Should there be kind of a, a level or a buffering zone where you allow it to change? Or is that da- I, is that dangerous? No, it's not dangerous. Uh, it depends on how it's done. What seems to be really important is that in a culture, there are foundational truths that we'll call timeless. And then there are behaviors or actions that are timely. And so you stay built on the timeless truths, but then you embrace timely new actions. That would be creativity, a new way to do a program. One of the cultural standards may be we reward creativity. We reward people who come up with revolutionary ideas. We reward people who come up with new products and who create new energies for us. So creativity and change can be one of the adapted. In fact, it's probably usually a good thing to have that as one of the values that moves. Now, the the other thing to remember is it's how is the process of change occurring? So it's really good. And a lot of this has to do with what we'll call governance. And I don't mean this in a bureaucratic sense, but how are conflicts resolved? How are new ideas embraced or not? How are they vetted? And the more that that is a a transparent, open, participatory process, the more there's the trust of it, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, here's a new regime, here's a new CEO, now we have a whole new strategy. 
Right. Now we have a whole new way. Now, oh, we're changing the company to fit the new times. I can't tell you how many companies that were solid and really good have been destroyed by someone who comes in and from the top down tries to create a new culture, we could call that, or a new vision. So the answer, I think, is that, yes, there needs to be every culture must be self-correcting and self-enhancing. Therefore, it will grow. I'll give you one example. It was very clear that in Keller Williams that we were a values-based culture. So we honored that, the Y4C2Ts, the nine principles of how we work together. And Mo was very much an inspirational, spiritual leader in people sharing those belief systems and filling each other's buckets and creating rewards for them. But the other thing, and it was more, I would say, my angle uh, was that we were also a high productivity culture. We just didn't hang around and hug each other and feel good. Right. We actually got Worked. things done. Yeah. We, we had goals. We were aspirational. We learned new skills. We turned uh, personal practices into businesses. Uh, we cared about the profitability of our offices. We cared that they were well-led and well-managed and that they were productive and they were profitable. We built then in a second aspect to the culture, which was we were not only a values-based culture, but we were a high-productivity culture. And now we began to train and identify systems and give feedback to the top performers so that those behaviors and those skills got reinforced in the whole company and that then became another part of our culture. So yeah, it can emerge and evolve over time. As you're saying this, I picture kind of two sides of this pendulum. There are the companies similar to Keller Williams, similar to Google, Zappos, that are very open, have this great culture of openness and working together. Everybody knows it. It's a great place to work. And then there's the other side all successful companies. And then there's the other side of the success pendulum. That's a completely 90 degree difference when it comes to culture. And I, the first thing that stands out in my mind is Apple. When you read about how it's a very different world, is very closed off. No one really knows what goes on. It's very quiet. It's very private. It's a whole different world. Is that a good or bad thing to pick kind of a side or is there kind of like a, a middle ground where you can play in? I would say that each company's challenge is to build the culture that's true to them. So in the mind of Steve Jobs, it was to create a culture that really stayed on track toward a vision of what he saw the future to be. Now that culture really rewarded creativity, but it also kept control of the quality of the product. Those are more business strategies. If you go to a genius store, if you go and talk to people or an Apple, there's a great sense of personal identity, of commitment to quality, of commitment to things that truly serve the, the client and the customer. There's an immense creativity that sits there. And I would say as much as I've experienced it, there's a tremendously positive corporate culture. Now, one of the standards of it isn't that we just open everything up. It's that we make careful decisions. But what people do is they begin to have this incredible confidence in where those products and services are going. And if you would take a look at how Steve Jobs introduced new products, that was part of the culture. He would mm -hmm. go to his people and he would inspire them about the quality and the cutting edge nature of the new products. Now, the interesting thing to understand about Apple was it was different than, you know, than Microsoft and it grew more slowly, but now it has a net value worth more than Microsoft. So you can have a short-term, long-term strategy, but I think if you looked very closely closely. I want to go back again and say that the culture must reflect the highest and best sense of what this environment is like and how people treat each other. And that might be very 
different from Keller Williams to a to an Apple. Uh, it may be very different from a highly scientific company like, or let's say, engineering company like General Electric, and a company that you know is more sales oriented like Zappos. There's not just one way to do a culture, but here's the thing that's important to understand. The culture needs to be clear, consistent, participated in, that it's reinforced by creating uh, success stories or stories of fame that reinforce it. And it also is, and here's, we haven't touched on this yet, but one of the things is that regular events create a culture. In other words, Keller Williams never would have created the culture it did without a powerful annual convention that it called family reunion. And then Mo added an, an inspirational breakfast. So while so much of the convention was about selling real estate and marketing and all of that sort of thing, uh, and a little corporate report, at the end of it would be this inspirational breakfast, which is now an inspirational brunch, where there would be stories of people helping other people, inspirational stories that would be brought in from you know speakers who came to speak to them. And in that was the reinforcement of the culture. And people just took that event and were emotionally touched at that event, probably just like Steve Jobs did at his grand announcements of new products, right. where, where he would just send this ripple of excitement and identity and energy through the company. And that reinforced that culture of being on the cutting edge. So events, creating culture-supporting events is also a very important way to make a culture happen. Culture has to be active, not passive. Absolutely active. And by the way, it can be small as well as big. I think that high-performance teams, like we taught people to do in, in the real estate business, but can also happen in any other business, mortgage companies or uh, local service providers, restaurants. We, we go to this wonderful restaurant here in uh, Boulder, Colorado, called Turley's. There is a culture of communication service service, energy, customer comes first. It's so imbued and it doesn't matter. They have lots of different staff members. There seems to be even some turnover of staff members, but that energy and that welcomeness and that quality is like always there. And you can just tell it's part of it's part of the environment and the culture that they've created. So it can be small, it can be a local business, or it can be something big like, a, like an Apple or a Keller Williams. Dave, one final question. What can undermine a culture? I think taking it for granted when leaders get involved with what I call bureaucratic goop, mm -hmm. G-O-O-P, uh, which is greedy self-interest, where they now become more interested in their getting their piece of the pie than creating this great entity itself. Organizational bureaucracy, that's the first O. That's where everything gets more complicated and more uh, divided up, and there's all sorts of procedures, and, and everything, instead of happening with a lot of trust, now happens without trust. I think that uh, oppressive regulation is the, sec is the th second O of the goop. Uh, and that is where all of a sudden now we're trying to hold on to what we have. So we now try and make everything be enforced by contract, by paperwork, by rules, by regulations. It's when the legal beagles take over the, the company. And now everything feels very stilted and there's no openness in communication and trust. And then the, the final one is political infighting. And that's where people really are just oriented for their control. Uh, they build silos. Uh, there's not communication across the company. Uh, they try and create their own maybe culture within the company that may be even different from the general culture. And there's not that feeling of unity and shared 
values. So goop, goop gets in the way. And I find you find a lot of companies as they're successful become a little arrogant. They think everything's going to just keep going the way it is because they've been so successful that the culture will happen just kind of because that's what we have. And then they start to act in ways that undermine the vitality and the entrepreneurial nature. Because I think every great culture has an entrepreneurial spirit in it. It's where people feel ownership, they take ownership, they participate, they, they get creative ideas, they add in and they feel like they're part of a team. So anything that undermines that, Matt, gets in the way. To learn more about building a business culture or to hear previous episodes of Warrior Talk, to learn more, go to freeenterprisewarriors.com. Dave Jinks, thank you for your time today, sir. Really appreciate it. Good to be here, Matt. We'll talk to you again soon. I'm Matt Hayes. Have a great day. Onward.